This is America on Par, a powerful punch of political punditry in a piffy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Parr. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, the UK voted to leave the EU. It said, au revoir. And then the world ended. Oh, wait, no, no, it didn't. It didn't end, did it? I must have misunderstood something. It probably got lost in translation from English to American. What has happened is there's been a lot of people writing a lot of articles about what Brexit means for the general election this fall. There have been articles that say that Brexit is good for Trump because Americans will be inspired by the example set by our transatlantic kinfolk and decide to vote against faceless bureaucrats. And then there are articles that say Brexit is a boon for Hillary because Americans will see the error of English decision-making and be inspired to vote for experienced leadership that is way too wise to make foolish decisions like a reset but or I mean, uh, like the United Kingdom just did. In the immortal words of Gordon Sumner, I don't subscribe to this point of view. Either one of them. The political pundits are giving way too much credit to the influence the British have on the average American voter, just as President Barack Obama gave way too much impact to his influence over the average British voter when he told them not to leave. This November, I don't think there's anybody that's going to go and say, huh, I'm not sure who I'm going to vote for. What did the English do? They're not going to look back and go, that's it, I'm voting for Trump, or that's it, I'm voting for Hillary because of Brexit. They're not going to do that, honestly. This will have no measurable impact on our election in November. In scientific terms, I'm saying this Brexit will have no causation on voting behavior for Americans this fall. But as I often point out when I'm talking about climate science, causation is not correlation. I do think there are several correlations, examples where we see trends going in the same direction, both in England and in the U.S. I think there are correlations that we should notice and remember. Brexit won't change our behavior, but our political fights run parallel to those across the pond. I see four different correlations. One, urban versus rural. Two, elite versus middle class. Three, immigration. And four, flawed political punditry. And I realize I just said that as a political pundit. We'll get to that. Let's start with the first one, which is the the correlation of urban versus rural. In the Brexit vote, London voted overwhelmingly to stay in the EU. The, The largest urban center in Britain wanted to stay in the EU. But the rural and former industrial powerhouses of England voted to leave the EU. The government and banking and business centers of England wanted to stay. Now, all that's housed in London. Well, there's a correlation to America's differences here. The centers of government, banking, and business are for Hillary here in America. The rural parts of America and places that have lost manufacturing jobs are for Trump. The South, the Plains, the Rust Belt. Hillary's winning on the coast. She's winning in Washington, D.C., and in New York City, where there's a stock exchange, and in the rich, wealthy parts of Chicago, where there's a stock exchange. But she's losing in places like western Pennsylvania, 
that have lost jobs to globalization. If you live in London and you make your livelihood from either being in government or working in international finance or big business, then globalization and membership in the EU has made your life better. At least it's made your finances better. But if you live in towns that used to bustle with solid, steady manufacturing jobs but now don't, then membership in the EU hasn't helped you at all. Same thing here in America. Washington, D.C. is one of the fastest growing areas in America during the recession and the sloth-like recovery. If you live in the seat of governmental power, then the past eight years really haven't been that bad. If you work in finance or in management for major corporation, then you've done pretty well during the Obama years, too. Generally, that's, again, people in New York, in Manhattan and Long Island and Washington, D.C., and the rich parts of Chicago. The rest of the country? Not so much. As for places like western Pennsylvania, and parts of West Virginia, and Kentucky, and Ohio, and Indiana, that economic pain goes all the way back to the beginning of the 1990s and NAFTA. So there's a similar divide here in America that there is in England, but our divide didn't cause their divide, and their divide didn't cause our divide. They are correlated because the same issues exist, but one didn't cause the other. Both of them are caused by outside forces. The second divide is actually correlated with the first divide, the elites versus the middle class. There's an interesting aspect to the Brexit vote. It didn't break neatly across party lines. Cameron, the prime minister of UK, at least for a little bit, he's going to step down now that he's lost. Cameron was the one who called for the referendum. He did this to get some of the more conservative members of his party to shut up and go away already. Cameron, the party elite, didn't support Brexit. He wanted the country to stay in the EU, but most of his own party did want to leave and has been calling on, a, on him to, to put together a referendum on this for years. Cameron hoped the liberals from the other party would help him out and vote to stay in the EU, but an unexpected thing happened. While the party leaders for the liberals did vote to stay, party members did not. Again, the leaders of both parties wanted to stay. Those who weren't in leadership wanted to go. We have a similar issue here with Trump versus Clinton. The elites in America are for Hillary. Those in power already are against Trump. This is across both parties. Hillary dominated the support of the superdelegates in her campaign against Bernie Sanders, but the outsiders of her own party were more likely to support Sanders. And many of his supporters still aren't willing to vote for Hillary. About 25% of Democrats who voted for a socialist in the primary say they will vote for Trump, the ultimate capitalist, in the general election. But the party leaders for the GOP, the elites of the Republican Party, have had a hard time coming around to supporting the man nominated by the party's rank and file. George Will said this week he's no longer a Republican and urged people to vote for Hillary instead of Trump. Sitting GOP senators have been few and far between to endorse or campaign for Trump. The Bushes, two former presidents, a former governor of Florida who signed a pledge to support the eventual nominee, have all refused to support Trump. They're parts of the elite, the power structure. 
The party elites in both parties are more comfortable with Hillary. The non-elites, the middle and lower classes, are more comfortable with Trump. Again, Brexit didn't cause this split in America, but the correlation exists nonetheless. The reason for the split on both sides of the Atlantic is the same. The elite in Britain benefited from being in the EU because they got to make decisions for the rest of the nation. They had the power and the position and the prestige, and they wanted to keep it. The middle class saw stagnant wages, lost jobs, a loss of personal power, and control over their own lives, so they voted to leave. Again, here in America, the party leadership and the corporate elites and big business and big banks have done very well with the political backscratching that goes on between Wall Street and K Street and Congress Avenue. The rest of us have lost a portion of control over our own lives and livelihood. So the elites in both parties support Hillary, or at least don't support Trump, because they want to keep the status quo. The middle class wants Trump, or at least doesn't support Hillary, because they want the whole system to change. The next parallel is immigration. Folks who voted for leaving the EU did so because they didn't like the unrestricted immigration coming into the UK. There are two aspects of this immigration they didn't like. The first was the waves of Eastern European workers coming to take low-income jobs. Romanians willing to work in construction for less money than their English counterparts. Does that sound familiar to you? Just change the names around. We have unrestricted immigration coming from Central and South America. It's, it's not Romanians, it's, it's Hondurans. There are people who are willing to work for less money than Americans who already live here and are often found in jobs like in construction or seasonal farm work. This immigration, both in England and in America, serves to keep labor prices down. This is good if you own the business that hires the, the, the workers. It's bad if you are one of the workers who already lives here. Again, our immigration in America isn't caused by the immigration in Britain, but rather both are caused by the same internationalist, globalist economy that has become so popular with the urban elites for the past 30 years. The second aspect of immigration that upsets Brexit voters is Muslim immigration, refugees. This was especially true after the gang rape attacks that happened in Germany on New Year's Eve. Muslim migrants or refugees wandering European streets harassing European women is absolutely not acceptable. To the Brexit voters, this was a sign that the immigrants the EU was forcing nations to accept from the conflict in Syria would not make their nation a better place to live. They didn't see these Muslim immigrants as people who wanted to join Western culture, but rather wanted to tear down Western culture and replace it with a culture that's okay with the gang rape of women. The elites tried to say that fear is irrational and xenophobic and racist. The Brexit voters thought it was reasonable to assume that if it's happened before, it will happen again. And they didn't want it to happen again in their town. Well, that same argument exists in America today and is the central component of Donald Trump's campaign. He wants to ban Muslim immigration until we have a better vetting process in place. Because of that, he's called racist and xenophobic by the elites in the press and in the parties. Many people across America look at what has happened in Europe and in Orlando and in San Bernardino and on 
and realize that Islam is a common connection in all of those attacks. And since Islam says it is the duty of Muslims to kill Christians and Jews and anyone who doesn't submit to Islam, maybe the correlation they see between the violence and the religion isn't just correlation, but is actually maybe causation. In Britain, Brexit voters didn't want immigrants coming in and lowering wages and taking jobs. And they didn't want Muslim immigrants coming in to change the nature of British culture. In America, Trump supporters don't want illegal immigrants coming in and taking jobs and lowering real wages. And they don't want Muslim immigrants coming here and trying to change American culture, or worse yet, trying to wage war against America and Americans. England's immigration issues are not caused by our immigration issues or vice versa. Rather, both are correlated and caused by the same international issues we see the world over. The final correlation is the political punditry. The experts were saying that this would be close, that the Remain vote would win. People would come to see their senses and vote to stay in the EU because that's the only logical choice. Here's the problem. They were wrong. First, the polls said the vote would be close, but maybe lean towards Brexit. Well, the final vote margin was bigger than the polls had predicted on average. This liberal bias in polling isn't just a problem in England. It's really happening in the entire Western world. Polls have skewed left in recent elections in Poland, Israel, France, Germany, and Scotland. They often skew left in the U.S. as well in recent years. Why? I believe it's for two main reasons. One, conservatives have always been more reluctant to answer a political survey. Part of believing in individual responsibility and self-determination means you don't feel like your political beliefs are anyone else's business, especially some stranger with a clipboard. The second reason is more recent. There are fewer home phones, and it's harder to get unknown people to answer their cell phone. Again, conservatives would be even more likely to not answer an unknown number when it comes up on call ID. It's made the job of professional pollsters even more difficult, and the industry does not have an answer for it. That's why in election after election across the Western world, the polls are wrong and they skew left, sometimes by as much as 10%. But the professional pundits who rely on those polls for insight into the political thought of a nation have been slow to adapt to the erroneous polling. They put more confidence in the polls when they match the pundit's bias and less when it doesn't match the pundit's bias. The problem is that most of the pundits are part of the political elite system. They get to go to the fancy dinners and have access to the halls of power and get fame and prestige because of the system, the way it currently exists. So when there's a significant challenge to the system that has fed their families, they are slow to acknowledge and correct for their built-in biases. In the end, they are wrong. Now, being a pundit myself, you could be concerned that I'm doing the same thing. Good for you. That's the right idea. Don't take everything I say at face value just because I say it. Check my work. See if my previous predictions have come true. See if I've been quick or slow to correct my mistakes and adjust my thinking in the face of contradictory information. Realize that I'm a conservative and I've got conservative biases. Maybe that makes me wrong from time to time. I hope that I'm able to remain conscious enough of my political biases and humble enough to constantly question my own opinions. 
I don't think enough of our political press and opinion makers are doing that today. Again, this isn't because Britain voted to leave the EU. It's just happening in both the UK and the US at the same time because of larger issues across the globe. In the end, whether Trump or Hillary triumph in November won't be because Britain voted to leave the EU. It will be because one of them saw the parallels in both of our countries and was better able to capitalize on the public's mood. I do believe the lessons of Brexit are that the elitist system of globalization, as it has been executed for the past 30 years, has benefited the upper classes and the wealthy, the politically connected. The middle and lower classes are mad about it, and they want something to change. They will vote for change. Whether that change is the correct course of action or not is still up in the air, but a growing number of people in Western civilization, from Tel Aviv, to Cologne, to Manchester, to Cleveland, are going to vote to take their power and their sovereignty back. Thanks for listening. If you like these podcasts, please share them with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can always do so on my website, americaonpar.com. I'm Stephen Parr, and I can still see old glory flying over me. In the first light